Hey team, it's Matt Rinkine here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast today. I'm your host, Matt Drinkon, and today we have a special treat. We have Mr. Frank Wiseman as our guest, and Frank is an incredible human being. I'm going to share with you a little bit about Frank's bio, and just reading this, it is impressive, to say the least. Let's start off here with Frank. He went to The Ohio State University and graduated cum laude from the Fisher School of Business with degrees in marketing and international business. In 1998, in his business career, he started working with Shaw Industries, and he won Rookie of the Year in his first year and taught new hires how to get out there and sell. Frank has been crushing it since day one in business. During his time, when he got recruited over in 2003, a few years later, he got recruited to a company called Tandus. And he exploded his territory from $100,000 in sales in the first year to over $12 million by year four, and has won an unprecedented Salesman of the Year award from 2006, 2021, like 15, 16 straight years. Outstanding. I personally met Frank when he was serving uh, on the Coronet board, and that's a corporate real estate organization that serves around the world. And he was on the board here in Charlotte in the Carolinas chapter. He's had many different roles here in the last 13 years in Charlotte. In 2010, as the membership director, the chapter won global award for membership. And as president of the chapter, he led the team to global chapter of the year. Back in 2019, in 2017, he was awarded Cornet's Service Provider of the Year. So he's very well known in the local real estate industry here in Charlotte and throughout the Southeast, also internationally in Cornet. Frank loves the Charlotte community. He's been here for a number of years and he really believes in giving back. He is one of the first board members for the Bay Halu Academy in Noda. That's a nonprofit after-school arts program for underprivileged kids trying to find their place in society. The program has grown, and now they have their very first graduate going to the Berkeley School of Music and Scholarship. In 2020, Frank Wiseman and his mentor and dear friend Bill Guandolo started a nonprofit geared towards helping chronically ill people find hope when doctors say there is none. This nonprofit is called Helix, and it's supported by Frank's podcast, We Are Dead Men Talking, which I highly recommend. Frank's got a great sense of humor and talks very seriously with his friend, Bill, about overcoming big challenges in their lives around health and around proactively taking the ball by the hands and going after it when it comes to their health. We are Dead Men Talking Podcast. Pretty awesome. I first found it on Spotify. Uh, pretty good listen. Frank got married in October 2016 to his beautiful wife, Lauren, and they have two children now. Uh, just an amazing human. The day that I met Frank is actually the day that I got engaged back in 2004. Oh, I better say this right. Back in 2013. 
I met Frank at a resort in Cancun and I walked by with my new fiance, not more than seven minutes before I got engaged to Julie. And seven minutes after that, I'm walking with Julie down by the pool and we see as we are walking by, I see out of the corner of my eye, this person who has the most incredible hair I have ever seen. So I stopped, kind of did a double take and, and backed up and I said, man, I just got to tell you, you have great effing hair. And that is how our relationship began. Of course, I got to know him a little bit on that trip, just randomly meeting him in Cancun. And then coming back here to Charlotte, I got to really know Frank over the years. What I'll always remember is the time when you know Frank's organization at Coronet, they hired me and my partner, Rich, to come in and do a barefoot firewalk experience for their board. And we did that in the uh, mountains of uh, Boone, North Carolina back in 2018, October, and had an absolute blast. So that's how the business part got started with Frank. He's been a dear friend ever since. He's put me on to the Wim Hof Iceman method, put me on to a celery juice. He's always looking for ways to enhance the health and enhance his mindset. He is an amazing human. Now, what we're going to talk about today, you're going to hear his humility on display, his emotional intelligence is off the chart. When I asked him, you know, what is the most important thing in each day? This is what he said to me. He said, I want to change somebody's day and make it better every day. Yeah, so amazing human being here out to change everyone's day and, and help people have a great day. When I asked him about his business and any philosophies there, he said, Matt, I really just want to do everything I can world-class. I want it to be copied and mimicked world-class in everything we do. An amazing human being here. So without any further ado, let's get to this very interesting interview with my dear friend, Mr. Frank Wiseman. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. Here we are with Mr. Frank Wiseman. Welcome to the podcast today, Frank. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Dude, one of my closest friends, one of the people I respect the most in this world. This is Mr. Frank Wiseman. It is a real honor to have you on here. Frank, we're going to dive in uh, deep right away, and I'm going to share three words that when I think of Frank Wiseman, these are the first three things that came to mind earlier. Number one, yeah. cool. Number two, intensely focused on what's most important to him. And number three, loves his people. That's what I think of when I think of you. How does that uh, connect with you? It's, it is flattering, number one, because it's kind of the things I fight to make myself feel about myself every day. It's something I have to write down every morning when I journal and every night when I'm going to bed about what I'm grateful for, what I inspire to be. The cool thing is is funny because I was so uncomfortable in my own skin for so many years through high school and the awkward phases and and trying to find out who my identity was. And you know, I think everybody goes through the phases of you want to be you want to be Fonzie or you want to be, you know, the cool person on TV or John Travolta or or Brad Pitt or whoever your cool person that you watch on TV and you try to emulate. And then you kind of feel that all right, that's part of me. That's part, not part of me. It's not the real me. But then you start, the older you get, you start to build, 
or more comfortable in your skin. Those parts of those people become part of you, but they're little parts of you. And then your real personality comes out. So a lot of that is the flattery side of that is just, and I snicker a little bit because it's a great facade I put up because I'm still trying to develop who I am and feel comfortable in my own skin as much as confidence as I exude. In a lot of ways, it's still a fight that I battle a lot with myself to to become the best person that I want to be in life. Because I don't think I'm there yet. Man, that's just that that just says so much about you, Frank. That when someone looks at you from the outside looking in, they they look at you and they see this is someone who's very successful. They've been this top producer in a company for a long, long, long period of time, more than a decade. Someone that is well known in our community in the southeast and maybe nationwide in your company in your industry. So people know you and they see you. They always see the smile. They always see the energy. And just to know that you've struggled with identity over time, that I'm sure has got to be a shock to some people. And as deep as you're willing to go, I'd love to kind of trace back the roots of that and talk about what your challenges were and how you've learned to overcome them, live with them on this crusade to find that identity, to find that best Frank. Uh, If you could wind back in time and maybe start from the beginning, what was hard for you? Oh, in the beginning, I mean, what was hard for me was I had an older brother that was seven years older. We grew up in a neighborhood where getting beat up in the neighborhood wasn't a, wasn't, wasn't something that people were like, oh my God, that happened here. It was like, no, it was a a lot of daily occurrence. And I wasn't a big guy. You know, I think when I graduated high school, I was 135 pounds or something like that. So it was like, you know, I wasn't a big guy, but I had a big mouth. I thought I was funny. Apparently some other people didn't. So I used to use my humor to protect myself and, and that didn't work. I mean, I got beat up a lot and, and it made me tough and it, it toughened me up, but it's still, when you start getting beat up, you start feeling insecure about how confident you are and how secure you feel and how safe you feel. Right. And the reason I talk so openly about this, Matt, now is because since we've been doing our podcast and I've been talking to people, I'm realizing there's a lot of people in the same boat that just from the outside, maybe money wise, success wise, are happy or look happy, but are really just sad inside. I mean, look at look at people like Chris Cornell or the lead singer of Lincoln Park that everybody thinks on top of the world and then they kill themselves. You know, my cousin Bodie killed himself last year and was multimillionaire, just had two kids. So the tears of a clown are, is a real thing. And 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 I, I talk so openly about it because I want people to understand that there are there are opportunities to to get past any temporary sadness that you have or or insecurity. And there's people out there that can change that. And you can change that on just doing daily things to help clear your mind and identify who you want to be. Well, so two things I want to zero in on that really resonate with me and I'd love for you to go deeper. You talked about their opportunity, you know, to to work through it. And some people would say, this is not an opportunity. This is just this shit that I'm in. This is just hard. This is life and life sucks and and it leads to a spiral down. And you intentionally choose to to view it as opportunity and, and change the frame there. Can you elaborate a little bit on on I mean how you do that? Why you use the word opportunity? I give you a prime example and it's it's the way I built my business. I've never developed this really strong relationship with a customer when everything's going perfectly. 
The only time I've built relationships with customers that they say, hey, I'm going to stick with Frank, live, live or die, because because something went horribly wrong and I was able to adapt, stay calm and fix it. And I think that goes with anything in life is if you're able to stay calm, say if you're, you're in a riptide, whatever, for instance, and you're trying to swim against the riptide to get to shore, you're eventually going to drown. If you just relax, go with the current until it calms down you wind up living and float right to shore. So it's, it took me a long time to get there because I was so reactional and I have, I'm so emotional. And those years of getting beat up put me in a, in a temperamental state. I got to a point where I liked to fight and I wanted to get in those conflicts and I wanted to look for that. And I wanted to prove myself and show me how tough I am and, and that the failures of youth, so to speak. But as I get older, it's just learning how to calm that storm, how to relax through it. And look for the opportunity to really shine through it because that's the only time people remember you. When everything's perfect, everybody thinks anybody can do that. It's when things go bad is when the real rock stars appear. Well, if we can go even deeper into one of those situations, I love the way you framed it, that your best relationships with clients that say live or die and with Frank, it's born out of a big challenge, a big mistake or a big adaptation. As, as deep as you can share, I'd love to hear one of those stories of it was hard, something bad was happening, something was messed up. And if you could share how you felt in that moment and how you got to the place on the other side, if you could walk us through that, please. Yeah, without going into too much detail, because it's very, very specific to my industry, but we had a client, a very large client that had some, basically some flooring that was causing odors. They thought it was a risk. They thought it was off-gassing from the flooring. The product was five years old. Most manufacturers would have said, hey, it's five years old, no warranty, no nothing. That's not our fault. Walk away. I knew this customer. I knew how important this customer was to me. And also, they, I considered them a friend. So I was like, hey, look, let's do some studies together. Let's look at what we can do. Let's examine the situation and get to the root cause and find out a solution. So a year and a half later, we're doing OSHA testing, environmental testing, indoor air quality testing. And we find out what really is going on. And we find out that it was the installer didn't take up any of the old bad adhesives when they were solvent based and they were really bad. And they were causing a reaction with the new adhesives and that was causing this odor. It was non-toxic, but it was it was foul. It was stuck. But that client remembered me sticking through that with them, picking up the bills through some of that, even though it was a small percentage of what we actually you know make from this client. But it was still us stepping up and saying, hey, we're in this together. We're partners. And next thing I know, we got a contract extension for a couple of years and and it just paid itself tenfold in the back end. But it's doing the right thing at all times and not just when you think it's important. Mm. Yeah, I love that. It, your, your opportunity is born out of well, pain or being out of, born out of struggle, but we're born out of challenge. And that's the opportunity to get deeper in the relationship. I love that. You also mentioned, Frank, that there are some strategies that you might use when times are hard or when you're in a tough spot. What is the mental framework that you use uh, to get through that? I love to kind of get into those strategies. And this could be, uh, this could be very deep because I've heard you talk about some of your strategies and I, I think they're awesome. And I'd love to hear you enlighten the audience with some of your strategies. Well, it all depends on the situation because there's sometimes in a situation where you have to back away, get a bad email. Somebody calls you, really just goes off on you. They're having a bad day. That's my first step 
is realizing that whatever emotions coming at me is usually isn't because of me. It's because that person's significant other cheated on them or their kids got sick at school and they had to go pick them up in the middle of the day or, or they stayed out too late and drank too much or nine times out of 10, when somebody's coming at me really harshly, it's not, has nothing to do with the situation at hand. So I try to try to keep that in mind. And when I have empathy for the person, it allows me to more think rationally than anger because anger, I want to go straight into attack mode because it takes me back to get punched in the face as a kid. And I swore to myself, I'd never let that happen again. So I don't want to get into that mode because that's a pure aggressive mode and there's no way to come back from that except with an apology and then wind up losing time. So I try to be empathetic to the situation, calm down. I also try to break some time or create some barriers through it, step away from it. Let me check on some things. Let me get back to you. And then I really try to take some time to, I know it sounds very spiritual, but I try to meditate. I try to calm my mind. There's scientific studies that show that the wavelengths in your brain when they're running at certain wavelengths are, are not good for you. When you're in the beta wavelength, that's, that's your fight or flight. That's the lions coming at you. You've got a fight or flight. You're creating cortisol levels. Your hormones are going crazy. It's creating all kinds of inflammation and stress on your body. That is not the best time to make a decision. You mean right, right in the middle of it when you're super pissed off? Is that the best time to make a decision? Okay. No. And I heard Duncan Wardell from Disney say that the other day. He's like, well, how many times you left an argument and going, you had the best comeback, but you couldn't think of it right in the moment. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you calmed down, you had a great one line zinger that would have really shocked the room and made everybody laugh. But in the moment, you can't think of that because your brain's not into that type of creative state. Until you calm down and get your brain into an alpha state or to a theta state, which meditation really helps to get to theta, even delta state, which is closer to a sleep state. That's where your creativity happens. What do they say? Thomas Edison used to fall asleep with a penny between his knees. And when he'd fall asleep and the penny would hit the pan on the floor, that's when he was in the theta wave state. And that's when he would come up with his best inventions. And who has more inventions in the world than Thomas Edison? So they say you don't make great decisions when you're under stress. So being able to calm your brain and get to that point is uh, I think a key. And there's a great book called Mind the Matter that really talks about that. Joe Dispenza, fantastic book, talks about the actual chemistry that's going on in your body when you're trying to make decisions. So what I just heard, I'll recap it here for the audience. What I heard is that when you're in a hard spot right there, the emotion is coming at you, depending on what the situation is. But if it's a situation where, let's just say that you might feel some, some wave of emotion, the first thing that you do is you step back and you realize empathy for whoever is connecting with you. You realize empathy and and whatever emotion they come at you with, it's not because of you. So you're seeking first with empathy, number one. Number two, you intentionally create a little bit of a time or a barrier to give yourself time to to think about it, to to calm down, to relax, to go to step three, which is meditate or give yourself that alpha, that theta state so you can have the time to give the good creative, the right response. And that would be one way that you deal with some of the challenges that come at you in the position you're in. So, yeah. and it yeah. works with uh, yeah. uh, business. It works with parenting. It works with any type of thing coming at you. I think is what you're saying. Yeah. And I think parenting made me see that more than anything. Right. Cause I got one and a three-year-old and they don't know what they're doing half the time. So to get reactive and, and think somebody's be coming at you because they have malice towards you or, or doing something on purpose to really make you angry. 
No, sometimes people are just being human. And and sometimes you just got to have some grace and let them go. But on the flip side of the coin, this is what I also like to do is sometimes people are coming at you and trying to be a bully and trying to beat you up just to see if they can in business. And sometimes my, my friend Dan Avatar had the best line I've ever loved. And he's like, Sometimes you got to break bad on them, on a guy, on someone and, and check, you know, sometimes a bully wants to be a bully. And, you know, I know everybody talks about the right and the PC ways of doing things and work, but sometimes a bully will keep bullying you until you stop the bully. And sometimes you got to break bad on somebody too. I mean, respectfully, of course, I mean, you know, this isn't a street fight, but respectfully, you need to hold your ground and sometimes say, I respectfully disagree with you on that. And I don't think we should go forward with that because it's not the right move. Mm. And I don't think those are bad things because if everybody agreed all the time, innovation would never happen. Innovation happens when we disagree and we have different minds and different, and we have diversity at a table and always both in opinion and skin color and, and race and everything like that. That's when innovation happens. That's why I love sitting on nonprofit boards with people from all industries, because you see the most intriguing minds with the best ideas because people are coming from all walks of life. And I think that's when you become a smarter person. Surround yourself by smarter people. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Thank You Cards. Yeah, they could be old school. They might be a thing that's going out of style. Tell you what, though, how does it feel when you go to your mailbox and there's a piece of mail in there that is not a bill, that's not a political ad, that's not to the current resident or your name? A personal handwritten thank you card is still one of the tried and tested and true ways that you can show appreciation to other people and add value in a relationship. So thank you cards. I just got one in the mail today and it feels great. Thank you cards. Write them, my friends. This message for the Eternal Optimist podcast. You've hit on a couple things here. I want to go back to, you said nonprofit boards. Of course, I've known you from Chamber of Commerce, originally how we met some number of years ago. I've known you through Cornet. I know that you are one of the industry leaders within your flooring industry at Tarquette. So you have all these different places and, and kind of a new dad the last few years and your wife and her profession. There's that group. You've got so many groups and places that, that you are. I wonder why. Why all the nonprofits? Why the chamber? Why school boards? Why all these different places out there, Frank? When I mean, you're, you're doing great in your career. Why do you do so many different things? I'm a firm believer in karma. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer that what you put forward, you get back. And it's been true in my life. I mean, when I stopped focusing on myself and started focusing on others, my life became a lot better. Don't get me wrong. There was a time when I was all about myself, more cars, more money, more houses, more everything. And I talk a little bit about this on our podcast is when I started going to Charlotte meditation to really get a control of my EQ and my emotions. Ranjit, my guru that I still go see here in Charlotte, told me that there's three things in life that once you're able to control, everything else is easy. And it's your ego, it's greed and attachment. And greed is pretty self-explanatory. 
everybody has an ego. That's what kind of drives you. You know, Freud said it best when he uh-huh. talked about it and ego. And, but attachment. Attachment is the one that I still struggle with at all times because you look at your family, you look at your possessions, you look at your job, you look at this podcast you're doing right now. Everything has an attachment. It means a lot to you. But what happens if it was gone tomorrow? What would it really mean? And when you're able to get rid of attachment, when none of that matters anymore, then you're truly free. Because, for instance, I'll give you an example. If you have no bills, do you really need a job? So if you stop spending and being greedy and going everything and you're able to get control of your expenses, you have no bills. Then is it really important to get that next promotion or is it that next raise or that take the bigger job that's going to keep you away from your family longer hours? Not really. You don't need it. You know, my the, my guru said to me, he goes, I go explain attachment because I love my family so much. My family left me tomorrow. I'd be destroyed. And he goes, yeah. and he goes, I'll be honest with you, Frank. My wife walked in here after 35 years and said, Ranjit, I want you to leave. And he goes, I'd grab my toothbrush and I'd walk out the door. And he, I go, I go, wow, that's ice cold. And he goes, why? He goes, if, if she really felt that way and I really loved her as much as I'm telling you I do, then why wouldn't I want her to be happy above me? And it, it kind of stopped me in my shoes. If it's true love and you take ego and, and greed out of it, it's true love. Then it's just attachment at that point. And if you get to get rid of the attachment, then it's a whole different world. And so I think that's the key. That's the key to those three things are my key to life. And I'm trying to grapple them every day because greed is a hard one to get rid of, especially when you're a competitive person mm-hmm. and when you're in sales, because they, you feel like they walk hand in hand, right? Yeah. How are you working on the greed part? Because that is challenging for us competitors in, in sales. That's a tough one. You know, once I started focusing on the people and not so much the outcome, <laughs> the, the money went up almost fourfold. And just in just visualizing things, I'm a firm believer. I mean, this is my journal right here every day. You know, what, what are my intentions? You know, what am I grateful for? This is what I write down every day. And, and where do I see myself? Where do I see myself? That's the biggest key. I mean, actually visualize and see yourself. Scotch Marin's my other life coach that does a lot of hypnosis with me and takes me through things and helps me visualize. And I'll tell you right right now, Matt, everything that I've visualized through him in the last seven years has come true in spades. I mean, I mean, it's just it's just the truth of the matter. And it's and it's it's just unbelievable. Hmm. That uh, the, the world of attraction, law of attraction. Absolutely, Frank. You, I mean, to tie everything together so far, you started with the challenge of identity growing up, and and you've evolved now to a place where we're talking about coaches and journaling, uh, and visualization, and even Ranjit was talking about the three things: ego, greed, and attachment. So on this journey, you have supporters. You have people that are working with you and helping you to see who you want to be and what you want to create. I wonder, when did you come to the realization that this would serve you, this visualization, journaling, coaches, people to support through your journey of identity? How did these strategies come to be for you? When did you realize 
this was going to be the way for I you. thought it was all bullshit first. I'm going to be honest with you. And I, and I still struggle with a lot of it that it's, that it's all hocus pocus, Tony Robbins kind of, I'll pump you up. Let's go to a festival and let's get all psyched up and make each other better. I mean, I still struggle with that when I'm telling people about it because the way I was growing up, my dad was a steel worker. My mom didn't work. We grew up in a blue collar community, very small town. People didn't talk about this stuff ever. And so when I'm going to a guru and to his house and sitting on a floor, bringing him oranges and meditating in the back room, I'm thinking I'm joining a cult and I'm going to wind up drinking Kool-Aid in the desert and be dead. Or I'm going to get molested. One to two. I didn't know what was going to go on in this room. I'm not even kidding. This is what's going through my head. And I'm like, what am I doing here? But I got to the crossroads going, I got to change my life if I want change to happen. And and I couldn't change it like a fad diet. I had to go to the far extreme. And that's my biggest qualm with with any of these self-help books, self-help anything is they say the commercials go, well, I did this. And all of a sudden, boom, I was 140 pounds lighter and I look great. And now I make millions of dollars. Now, this took me 18 years almost of development, chipping away at it, getting a little farther and then falling back. 10 spaces, getting a little bit farther and falling back only five this time, getting a little bit further and then falling back and then getting a little bit of success and going, oh man, that's part of the equation. All right. I watched a documentary on Tony Hawk trying to nail the 900 on a half pipe and they just showed how he's like, he could just, all of a sudden, and I mean, Tony Hawk's greatest skateboarder on earth took him years to hit that trick, but just monotonous. So in my opinion, it's consistency over time, giving yourself a lot of grace to fail, being fine with failing, and and then looking for ways to, to be happy with yourself. Because I'll tell you the one person that's the worst drug addict in the world, and that's a self-help addict. The person that has every self-help book on their desk and everything I mean, at least the cocaine addict at least is happy at least part of the time, you know, when he's high. A self-help addict is never happy. Like, no matter how far they go at it, they never feel that they've hit to the point where they're at. So my whole deal is give yourself a little bit of grace. Enjoy the moments where you take two steps ahead or one step ahead and write those moments down. I went one day without having a cigarette. Not that I quit smoking, but I'm happy with one day. Or whatever you're trying to do. But the self-help addict just cracks me up, man. And I go to a lot of these workshops and and I meet a lot of self-help addicts. And it's just like, holy crap. Now you understand why it's a billion-dollar business. Because it's an addiction worse than most drugs out there, in my opinion. I I love the way you went there because I don't think many people say that out loud. Self-help addicts. Yeah, that is a thing. I'm I'm totally with you in that world. The way that you just shared that, uh, this... Frank's formula, I'll call it. You shared consistency, grace with yourself over time, being comfortable, learning to be comfortable failing, and being able to notice the progress, whatever tiny increments it comes in over time. And that has been yeah. a method for you over 18 years uh, of development. And it all started with the idea of, I've got to change my life if I'm going to change it. 
I'm going to change the results. I've got to change who I am and how I get there. Yeah. Stop. You watch a lot of people go, especially in relationships, and you see people that have never been in a relationship or, you know, you, you go, man, everybody I meet is just crazy. They just don't get it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you've met, I've met 10 people you've dated. They've all been different. They've all been pretty nice. I got the only common denominator is you. So sometimes that's that was me, that common denominator. I was like, well, maybe it's not the people, the other people. Maybe it's me. And maybe I got to learn how to love myself a little bit more. Because you can't, if you don't love yourself, how could you love anybody else? Absolutely. So that's where my crossroads was. Is I realized that if I didn't want to be alone the rest of my life, or I didn't want to be that guy that was married three times and divorced and paying alimony and everything, that I had to work on myself and not try to just keep looking for the person that was going to put up with the, the asshole I was at the time. Well, it begs me to ask the question, uh, do you love yourself right now? Yeah. I'm pretty happy with myself. I think there's some stuff I want to work on. There's, I'm definitely in the journey to get where I want to be. And that's basically to be the best dad and best husband in the world. I think I've accomplished my career. I've, I'm still striving to be better at my career. And my, I just have a different agenda now. It's bringing others up to my level and training the youth, the next generation of our, our industry and my company, Tarquette. Mm-hmm. But my family and being a good dad is the number one priority. And when you look at being a great dad, Frank, and this is get into a place I love to talk about. It's my favorite thing in the world too, you know, working on being the best dad that we can be. When you think about being the best dad, uh, what does that mean? I think it's pretty simple. It's just time. Kids don't care about anything else but time with you. They don't have any concept of money. I didn't know we didn't have money as a kid till I was in college. I knew I didn't have all the toys that my friends had. I knew I didn't have the clothes that my friends had. I didn't know we didn't have money. My parents never told us we didn't have money. We always had food on the table. So kids don't care about anything like that. That's all our our ego. Parents keeping up with the Joneses and stuff. I could give my kid, in fact, yesterday I gave him a cardboard box. They had more fun with that cardboard box that that, that was garbage than most people than they had with anything that I could have bought at Target. They made it into a castle. It was a closet at one point. It was a fort and it was a hiding spot in hide and do seek. There was four toys in one and it was an Amazon box. <laughs> so I, I just think it comes down to time. I came home yesterday and I saw something similar. My middle daughter had a cardboard Amazon box and she was sitting in it with a book, a little tiny kid book <laughs> taped in the front of it. And my two little 20-pound dumbbells underneath it, those were the wheels, and it was a go-kart racer. And my younger daughter had two pillows she was sitting on, and she had the little three-pound Peloton dumbbells underneath it, and that was her racer. And their stuffed animal had one too. So I'm 100% with you on the kids finding random stuff to play with. And and I grew up the same way, Frank. I grew up not knowing anything about do we have money or not. That wasn't even a concept. I remember that back in 1983 when he-man was on and i was six years old uh, yeah he-man was the man right that was great and tila you know so in any event i remember seeing that and we had the kind of television that had three channels and you had to get up and go and change the dial on the tv and that was just pure heaven that was that was fantastic watching that i didn't know any different at all and didn't find out too much later 
uh, about finances. So I'm totally with you. And, and in fact, I would even go this. If someone asked me, what is being a great dad? What does that mean to me? I would share that in the future, I'm having a conversation with any of my children, and they could say to me that their inner voice says, Daddy loves me, and I can do this. You know, to me, that would be what it might look like in the future. That might be an outcome, is they feel loved and they feel like they can do it. And that's a strong, a strong esteem. And that, that self-esteem is what the parents built in me. So that would be my answer to it. I love your answer, too. Time. Just spending time with them. That's all they want. You know, I see that the challenge I see from a lot of people that I work with professionally, and I would call some of us uh, recovering perfectionists uh, or highly functioning workaholics, is that how many times does your young child come to you and they ask you to play with them? They ask you for time and it's mommy and daddy are working. You know, here's the iPad, go do this. Or mommy and daddy are working. We can't do, we don't have time right now. And when is that time going to happen? I mean, when, when do you make that time happen with your career and family and all the things you're going on? How do you make that time happen for you, Frank, with your kids? Time management, mostly. I'm very strict to my schedule and I'm not scared to say no to things. Mm. If it, my schedule is, and I, my CEO might listen to this, but I don't care if you're the CEO or, or whatever, unless the plant's on fire and everybody's going to lose their job. If my kid has a recital or a picnic or a thing at school, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be in my kid's thing. I'm not going to miss that kind of stuff. I think most of the time people miss stuff because they're unorganized and they're, they're reactionary. I'm very well thought out on where I'm at and what my time is. Now, does that change today? Yeah. But like yesterday, in fact, I actually didn't have to call on mute, picking up my daughter at daycare. And she came home and she goes, daddy, I want to get in the pool. And I go, you know, we're going to make that happen. You know, go put on your bathing suit and let me finish up this call. I didn't realize I wasn't on mute to a national client. But at the same time, COVID has us having, and I learned that from you, Matt, is you got to have a little grace and give yourself a little grace and give grace to others during this time because it's a different world we work in now. Our kids are around our office now. And I think that's a great thing. I don't think it's going to stay like this forever, but I'm going to take advantage of it when I can. You mentioned grace a couple of times. When you think of offering yourself grace, is there any place right now, Frank, that you need to offer yourself some grace? Any recurring thing, any any challenge that I need to offer myself some grace? Honestly, I know there probably is, but I can't think of one off the top of my head because I give my I give myself grace pretty easily. And honestly, that came from the coaching that I get from you. Um it's one thing I've written down from our calls, and I think it was April of 2020. You were kicking off a coaching call, and you said, hey, I want to take this time to talk about grace for a minute. And my kids are going to run through this room at any minute. It's going to happen. And I'm not going to get frustrated about it. And we're not going to interrupt the call, but it's going to happen. And it's just the way of the world. And it's just like anything. You'll be in a meeting, and you'll spill coffee on yourself. or sweat through a suit because they got the heat too hard and like, and you're sweating. And I mean, and just go, Hey, Hey, can you guys turn on the AC? You guys, if you want a better price, I'll give it to you. Just turn down the heat. Jesus. I mean, whatever you need, but you know, sometimes call it out and just have a good time with it. But I think sometimes we just take ourselves too serious and the world's just not that serious. People want to laugh and people want to have a good time. 
Yeah, you're right about that. And if we keep that in the, keep that in the forefront, it makes everything easier, especially sales. I always say if we can make somebody laugh, usually they'll buy from you. Or they'll tell you to leave. Well, too, but I mean, it's a 50-50 shot. <laughs> well, either one of those gives us certainty in sales, so we won't be wasting time on a maybe. So that's that's good. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's good. Well, I want to go back to a very specific moment, and I think you'll remember this moment pretty clearly. It was, I think it was October 30th, 2018. We were at a, a board retreat with the Cornet team here in the Carolinas chapter, and we were getting ready to do an experience together. And I'd love to hear uh, your take leading up to the moment of that specific experience. If you could tell the audience, you know, what were you thinking? Why were we there? And uh, what was your experience there? Oh, you're walking on fire. Yeah. I have a motto. Anybody that's ever served on a board with me or any one of my teams, I have one motto. If we're going to do anything, let's do a world-class. And world-class to me is what everybody strives to be. World-class is what your competitors want to be. That's, so if you're world-class, you become what people are chasing. And I believe if we're going to do it, and we're going to put the time, and I'm going to take time away from my family, that I want anybody that picks up whatever we do or looks at it or watches the video, going, man, I want to do that. And I want to be mimicked. I want to be copied. And that's what I felt when we were going to that board retreat. I sat down with Rich Campy and, and yourself, and I said, what can we do to shake up this board retreat and get people to come together as a unit where they love each other? They got this sense of unity and they love each other as a team so much that when they come up with different ideas, it's not combative. It's like it's respected. And sometimes you got to take people to the edge of their comfort zone and put them in a fearful situation to make them come together as a team and experience pain together so to speak and that's what the fear of walking on fire was so you built that wall of flames you know 12 feet long and when it was it was i mean blazing in the sun setting and there's flames going up and you watch it start to you know simmer down and and i'm the fearless leader going all right i'll go first and and all jacked up talking to people i'll be fine i'll be fine i've watched people do it a million times and then you get up there and you see a a two foot flame still firing below your feet. And you're like, I got to do this. <laughs> and oh, yeah. and I haven't seen anybody go yet. So I'm like, and then you go through it, but then you just, once you get through it, it's a sense of accomplishment and everybody got through it. And, and then we we're all drinking together and laughing together. And then we had the best board retreat that we ever had because people had that, that experience together. Life's creating experiences, man. Anything you do, family, friends, work, creating that unique experience that's world-class is, is, is the thing to do, man. Thank you. Phenomenal, Frank. I, I love some of the notes I've gotten here. You've gone from overcoming challenges. You've just shared creating a vision, and it might start with the idea of do it world-class. Do it so people want to copy you and, and mimic you. If you want to get people connected in a deeper way, then you've got to do something that is going to break their comfort zone and do it together. Yeah. Uh, I love the ideas you've shared. I love the ideas of parenting you've shared, going back to time and learning to say no to some things so you can say yes to the most important things. love all those, those concepts you shared there. I'd love to uh, wrap us up with a question. And that yeah. question, you've given us a lot of great advice so far. If you could boil it down to any advice you'd love to give the listeners, and it could be in any area, but 
you know, I'll give you a big softball here. You can go any direction you'd like to. What's a piece of advice you'd like to offer anyone uh, out there who's overcoming challenges, who's creating a future? Any advice from Frank Wiseman? My biggest advice to anybody is, is try to change somebody's day. And what I mean by that is, I'm telling you, if you're trying to change somebody's day, because there's a lot of people going through a lot out there right now. This COVID hangover is a legit thing. Depression is up almost 38% compared to where it was two years ago. And these are the same people you were going to work with. And it, they don't wear a badge that says I'm depressed. They don't wear a badge that says I'm on the spectrum. Or they don't wear, you know, neurodiversity is a real thing. And there's a lot of people going through a lot of stuff out there. And I just challenge anybody to try to make somebody's day better at least one time a day. And it's a contagious thing and it is something that has changed my life. And when you start thinking about others, it's amazing how your other problems seem so minimal because there's a lot of people, I mean, we've got a lot of first world problems. I mean, our idea of poverty is having a roll up manual window over here compared to what people are that have poverty over in the third world and where don't have food and water. So Mm-hmm. Just put in perspective on what real troubles are and, and there's help out there too. Don't be afraid to ask for help, you know, try to help others and don't be afraid to ask for help for yourself because humanity is a pretty remarkable thing. Majority of people are really great people and that's, they really just want to help, but they just don't know how sometimes. Oh, thanks so much, Frank. I love that. Change someone's day. You, you've been consistent this entire discussion. And every time I've known you, you've always been consistent. It's always people first, empathy first, you know, love first, just always towards people. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. If people want to connect more with you, uh, you've mentioned your podcast a couple of times. I'd love to hear how do people connect with you, follow your podcast, follow you. How do they do that? Yeah, please. Well, you can ch- check us out on our website, www.wearedeadmentalking.com. That's Bill Wandolo and, and my podcast called We Are Dead Men Talking. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, any t- podcast platform. It's also on our website. Our website also has all the resources that a lot of the resources that I talked about on this show today. You could just click on it. You'll see the books that I talked about. You could buy them there. Everything from nutrition to meditation to, to just a mindset. It's all there. Uh, you can follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, they're all on there and follow us on social media. And we'll be out, I believe, at the 24 Hours of Booty in July. You'll see the Dead Man Talking flag up, raising money for cancer awareness. And then we'll be at the Light the Night Lymphoma Society event in November doing the walk. You'll see the Dead Man Talking flag up there. And I I don't know if we're emceeing that, but there are talks in that. So it's pretty exciting. The The podcast is all about learning how to find hope when the doctor says there isn't any and it's and there's always hope my friend bill gondolo is surviving cancer right now and and he is remarkable and there's a lot to learn so when the doctor says you're going to die and there's no hope there always is so check us out it's it's pretty interesting i'm trying to make you laugh a little bit too (laughs) thank you frank great message of hope Check them out. We are Dead Men Talking. Great podcast. I've listened to it. It's phenomenal. Man, thanks so much, man. I love you. Thanks so much for coming on today. I look forward to seeing you next time, Frank. I love you too, brother. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist Podcast. 
you can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.